guys and uh, welcome back to Digital Artcast. Um, back here with another review and speaking to our probably second ever uh, 3D artist or main 3D artist on the channel. Uh, Mr. Jason Hill has joined us here from uh, currently Respawn Studios. So uh, thanks for joining us, Jason. Thank you very much. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, everybody. Yeah. Number two. Yeah, number two. Yeah, second only. Nice. It's, a privi- it's a privilege in this art cast, so yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I mean, like, I was just, we were talking about this earlier before we started, but, um, you know, you've, you and me have, have kind of added each other, I think it was about two years ago or something close to that. I think it was actually just mm-hmm. before you moved to uh, Respawn. I think you were still at Total Rock okay. at the time. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, so um, obviously that's been a couple of years since, and you know, you've obviously been working on a lot of stuff. Um, but obviously, you know, as we do in these interviews, kind of take us back um, to the the origin story, the Batman Begins. But um, yeah, how did you get into art? Um, you know, how did you kind of start your journey um, into? Well, now obviously you're a, you're a three D character artist. So um, mm-hmm. was that the main goal? You know, when you were younger, was that was that what you wanted to do? Uh, I think so. Uh, in hindsight, uh, I don't know. I, I don't feel like there was ever a clear moment, but I was definitely propelled that way. Um, when I was five, my dad got me a computer, which I, th- I think at the time was really unconventional. I think that happens more nowadays. Yeah. But at the time, like he was just an enthusiast for Mac computers. And so he bought me, so like pretty much my whole life, he would buy himself like a newer Mac computer. He would do work on it all the time. He was a math teacher. All right. Yeah. And he just, I think he was just like fascinated by the product, you know, also. And then I would get his hand me down. So like when I was five, I had this like old black and white Mac and I would just uh, like play on there. That, that's how I spent my time. Yeah. So I find it funny now that that's essentially what I do like most of my life is I'm on a computer making stuff. And I, I feel like that's somehow connected, but the major uh, influence for me to get into what I'm doing now was was visual effects. Like uh, similar to you, you're into it too. I think a lot of 3D guys are into a whole huge thing. So it seems like kind of a mess. Yeah. Um, but the reason why I've gravitated towards characters in games is that it's such a challenge, and uh, yeah. and it that also makes it like really rewarding. And um, you know, I just wanted to be a part of that bringing characters to life magic that like influenced me so much when I was a kid. I have such good memories, and at that time, it's movies. Uh, we have plenty more moments like that in games, but kind of what inspired me was the visual effects breakout, you know, of the '90s and stuff, and those yeah. movies like Terminator and Abyss and all that, like uh, Jurassic Park. And right. I wanted to do that, and uh, and games kind of provided a new frontier. Like at the time, it's still pretty fast moving, but at the time, there was a lot of opportunity for growth and exploration and and you know it's a it's pretty new business in a way and so i get to play around and so i think that's why i just found myself here um but yeah i've always been trying to learn more and more about 3d art and uh and characters seem like you know the most (laughs) eclectic things like the biggest uh challenge so i i always was aiming for that yeah i mean and that's super interesting because yeah characters is something um, you know, we were talking about this again earlier, but you know, when I was in Axis last year, I was you know hearing from the guys that character artists and animators are some of the hardest jobs they have fill in because um, it seems to be the most um, yeah, like you say, challenging. I think because anatomy plays into such a huge role of it, and it's such a complex mm-hmm. 
thing to begin with um, because even just between anatomy you've also got male and female then you've got animals so yeah learning that stuff can be a super hard challenge and then sculpting it it's yeah it can be you know intense but did you so did you do like I'm trying to even think you know you said you were using computers but back mm -hmm. then what kind of stuff were you doing on the computer was it 2d was it 3d was it a mix of both or okay yeah so it was always um 2D, uh, but also a kind of weird, <laughs> I feel like a lot of what my hobby was and sometimes still is, is and this has to do with, I think, uh, a similarity between a lot of 3D artists is I'm experimenting with stuff, you know, I'm trying stuff and I'm playing for the enjoyment of it. And I think when you're a kid, that's more natural to happen, like exploring mm -hmm. around uh, with computers and, and then discovering new ways to make fun stuff. Mm -hmm. So it, it was never like a specific goal. Uh, it was just having fun, and I think that's a, a thing that I try to keep with me because new things come out all the time, and I try to not get too set. You know, I try to keep uh, trying things because things get easier and easier. Um, but the the real like switch into 3D, I have to credit this teacher I had in high school who like uh, you know changed my life in a funny way, and uh, and he was giving me like some some harsh love kind of uh, teaching, and it worked out. Nice. Like when I wasn't a good I wasn't a good student at all. And um, both both my parents were teachers, so it's like ironic that I'm a terrible student. Oh, wow. I think, uh, I, I at least I tell myself that it helps me be a better teacher today because I know like you know what uh, what lost my attention and stuff as a kid. Yeah. But uh, but I found I always loved drawing and I always loved like escaping, like escapism. I think that's a big you know, thing that I'm still doing and being a part of today. Totally. And so in school, sometimes I would feel trapped, right? And so if I wasn't drawing, I was like reading a book or something. And uh, sometimes I would just do that in class, which is like really disrespectful and you shouldn't do that. And I would get bad grades. Mm. Um, but one class was drafting, uh, which is like a very technical drawing class. And I don't know how I found myself in there, but I was in there. And that mix uh, was uncomfortable, but it allowed you to to draw these incredibly crisp drawing. Now, if you know what like CAD is, that's what CAD is, like all architecture and stuff. But back in the day, you had to do drawings with these big T squares, and they had to be very precise. And you used, you know, mechanical pencils, and it, it looked like a computer made them, but that was before computers. Mm -hmm. So it taught me like this uh, extreme constraint and accuracy. And uh, it, at the time, I think it was good for me, uh, but. And so I kept going back to that class because I, I did well in that class. And like I say, I, I felt like it was kind of good for me. The teacher, his name was Mr. Atsubo. Cool. He, uh, he like, you know, took me under his wing, even though I would talk to people. You know, I was like a disruptive student probably. So he had to like wrangle me in. <laughs> and uh, by the third year of drafting, they, it, like it turns into 3D and they introduce you to 3D. And it just was extremely fascinating, I guess. Yeah. Like, uh, and it's that fascination hasn't worn off on me. Um, it was just magic and I don't know, like just learning that you could turn the camera around and make stuff in 3D and uh, at the time I remember the program was called Rhino, so it's like one of these super old ones. Oh yeah, sure. And, uh, and when, I, when he said that uh, Rhino was used to make the buildings in that Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie, like I thought that was the coolest shit ever. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried to like model a car with like nerves and loft. Anyways, so that started my like path. And um, by my last year, he just he just sat me in the back of the class by myself, so I couldn't bother anybody. And he just like he said, as long as you're you know messing around in Cinema 4D, uh, you'll get an A. And so I he just stuck me there on that computer, and yeah, so that really was uh, awesome for me. I think it just allowed me to point my 
uh, <laughs> the qualities that made me maybe not so good at, at following directions or being a student, but it worked in um, figuring out how to make things uh, with computers. So I think that was the big change into 3D. And then I just kept doing it. Um, uh, then so I went to school. He also introduced me. This is kind of embarrassing, but it's funny how it worked out. So he told me about Art Center. Mm-hmm. And he introduced me uh, to that whole thing. And, like, I think he was really trying to save me, man. And it, like, totally worked out. I think he saw that I wasn't going to be able to, like, you know, go work at, like, a bank or be a doctor or some shit. <laughs> so he was like, hey, why don't you follow this art and uh, computer arts course? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he told me about Art Center. And then later I got something in the mail that was from the Art Institute. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I confused that with Art Center. So like oh. I, I entered into one of their little like competitions yeah, to get yeah. a scholarship. And then so me and my folks went down there and pretty much everybody got like a uh, consolation prize of like $500 scholarship, which is nothing because like the school was seventy-five oh, yeah, to $80,000. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, oh, okay. And then uh, my parents, I guess – uh, we're just like, Hey, you know, if you want to go to the school, you know, we'll pay for you. You want to go? And, uh, I was like, okay. I mean, I didn't have a better idea. I actually thought I was going to join the military. That was my oh, plan. Shit. And then, uh, my dad said, uh, it was weird. Yeah. Just one day, I think he knew that I was you know, planning to do it. And then he told me that they saved money. I'm an only child. So they, they must've just stashed money away when I was born. Yeah. And he said, you know, you could just go to any school. You don't have to go to the military and as long as you're going to a school i'm pretty lucky i had parents where they said as long as you're doing something that you want to do and you can get a job you know then uh do that so they were really wow. supportive and, the, and they just like go to art school and so yeah. that uh that was an awesome uh thing that they did for me and it it's been my motivation to not like f up the whole time you know like they yeah. sponsored me to do this and so i always felt like man if i didn't make a career out of this it would just be such a huge waste so but yeah. so far, so good. Yeah. They're making stuff with computers. Um, yeah. I mean, and the world has actually gotten more and more jobs for this. Yeah. So it actually, luckily, really worked out for people like me. Yeah, especially in 3D. I mean, um, I was just at uh, IMAG in Paris uh, for the conference there. And we were listening to uh, Raphael Lacoste, who is the, who's the main art director just now for the Assassin's Creed franchise and has been since you know forever. But I can ask him a question and say, you know, worldwide, studio-wise, how many 2D artists do you employ and, you know, I'm waiting for, you know, thousands and thousands. But he was like, yeah, I think across most studios in the world, we have about 100 2D artists. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, it was such a small number. I couldn't believe. Yeah. yeah. And you can understand why 2D is such a competitive um, place to be in. Because especially most game studios, like, their 2D teams are super niche. Um, whereas, you know, if you're working on a game or a movie, the 3D teams are hundreds of people, you know, if not more. Um, and, yeah, that was, was probably the best decision. Because... Something I want to you know talk about quickly is um, you know like a, a, a thing I noticed about you I don't know if it is unique to probably where you stand as an artist but apart from having because like when I interviewed Marcin um, from Seri Project like he obviously was a three D artist but he you know we had a whole conversation about two D skills and you know Marcin was saying oh no I really should I should be drawn more I know I should be um, but he didn't actually you know he didn't have a really strong two D background um, you know I didn't think he, he really drew at all but you have a good actual, you know, I could see you working as a 2D artist, you know, like it, you kind of have the you know, the best of both worlds, but yeah, you do have strong 2D skills. Do you find that that's helped you? Like, did you make a decision that you just weren't going to entertain the 2D stuff, that you wanted to do the 3D stuff over it? Or I'm just trying to wonder how your 2D, um, mm-hmm. you know, how that's informed your career and, and why you chose to go that way and, you know, and, and why you kind of keep drawing still, obviously. 
Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, 2D was something I always did. That was the first. That was the first thing I did. Yeah, I was drawing at a young age, um, so I did get over that hurdle. Um, later in life, I did switch kind of to 3D. That wasn't exactly conscious at the time. I was just following my interests. Um, but then, yeah, once I joined art school, um, you know, art institute. You know, say what you will about it. <laughs> it's uh, there's pro there's pros and cons, but they do uh, they do a classical sort of method. A um, Italian method or whatever it's called, you know, so there's life drawing and stuff. And that was great. I mean, that was a good experience for me. I think I'm I'm really glad that they did teach that stuff and they taught art history. Right. And uh, honestly, I really appreciate that, um, the opportunity to learn that stuff just because it's interesting. And, and I do believe that art is all connected and kind of part of my life. Uh, and what I do is is thinking about what I do and why I do it. I try not to get too caught up in the tool. Um but anyways, because drawing was taught then, I try to rediscover it, you know, at that time and kind of force myself to do it. Yeah. I still think today I use 2D occasionally uh, because it's the right thing to do in the right situations. Like for sketching ideas, uh, yeah. I see it as kind of a gradient. And for me, um, what I'm even in my even in my personal work, if I were to do something just for what I want to do, the things that inspire me are the are those images from those movies. Those the things that are unbelievable, done in a way that is believable. Yeah. That, you know, to put a fine point on it, that's the thing that I'm inspired most by. So the final thing of whatever I would make would involve everything I could to make something look realistic. But throughout that process, sometimes it might even start with words or a little like yellow notebook I have stacks of over here. Right. And then sometimes uh, it'll be a drawing and I like to use Photoshop for doing paintovers a lot because it's so fast to visualize things. Right. But in terms of like a painter and an illustrator and a designer, yeah, I'm super weak at that stuff. Um, oh, yeah. So I stick to 3D. But I still try to design in, in 2D, but that's where my brain is, is in 3D now. Uh, once ZBrush came out in college uh, and I started doing digital sculpting, that became my real love of of making things and making models. Yeah. Um, and that's really what I wish I could do that <laughs> all the time. And I, and I feel like it's a more richer experience too. Like 2d and 3d helped me, um, together in different ways. I think the truth is always there, you know, like what an arm looks like or what, what good form looks like or whatever is a personal thing for you to develop your own taste. Yep. But also once you understand something, you can depict it with anything. And for yep. me, 3d was a better way or at least for me, a more satisfying and enriching way to recreate something. I felt like I had a deeper understanding, you know, yeah. if that makes sense. So it's, it spoke to me, and I like to spend more time doing 3D now. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a shift that I've took more because, um, I guess more because I've, I've found myself lacking in 2D and that it doesn't spark my interest as much. Because um, when I took the course, I was looking to do more 2D concept, and um, I think the general appreciation I had for it at the time was that you made pretty pictures, but then there's a whole talk that Shari Safari had gave at GDC a couple of years ago, and, and something I've actually heard from a couple of guys at IMAG over and over again is that um, now with concept, people aren't looking for concept artists, studios need concept designers. Um, like I think people confuse when you say concept artist, you really are a designer. It's less yeah. pretty pictures and more functionality and problem solving. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, like that's a whole thing where I think now 3D is more methodical and mechanical for me. For me, like especially when I done um, my first hard surface sci-fi environment in Maya, um, it kind of felt like putting Lego together, and 
there was a satisfaction mm-hmm. in that kind of like model building when I done when I was younger. Um, like even I think not too long ago in your your uh, your Instagram, you done a whole thing of like a Sunday where you were um, you were sculpting like a monkey head and um, listening to tunes and yeah, like yeah. Clay for me is always I've always had a huge fascination with modeling and sculpting in that sense. So I think that's why now I'm trying to turn my focus to 3D um, because you kind of get an instant feedback. Um, I mean, I worked on, you'd work on a sketch for a couple of months, but um, and you get a different result. But when I worked in that environment and through it through Substance Painter, um, the result I got at the end of it was something that, you know, uh, I know I'm not interested in big here, but I could see in a video game. Like I could see myself walking through yeah. that corridor. Um, you know, like all the little details are done, like, you know, blood dripping and water effects and lighting flickering on and off. It felt, oh, more, yeah. it felt more alive to me. Um, and I think that's the same with 3D sculpting, right? There's an instant gratification of once you find a character and you can pose it and turn it in different ways and, and add lighting, um, you know, it, it feels more alive than 2D. Is that how you kind of feel with 3D sculpting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's like a whole mix of stuff because um, I will say something, so, okay, definitely more gratifying sometimes. And sometimes are instant when you do certain things. But when I think of like what I do, I think of it in these big projects and I I feel like they're like marathons, you know? I think um, if, if you're a certain kind of painter or you're a certain kind of designer, the thing that I'm actually jealous of them most is, I mean, obviously the, the ability to design, which is yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, but also they get to do more, you know, in the same amount of time. Like yeah. probably the same with your environment. Like it's something where there's big sweats of time uh, once you know what you're doing, like once you make the plan, like you have the vision and you make, you set out the plan, then you have to do some building. Then it is like Legos, right? And then it's like a marathon and then like keeping the pace and being yep. determined so that at the end you can finally have something. And, and maybe it's a deeper satisfaction because it takes that amount of time, yeah. but then also it's a richer, uh, experience because of things like you're talking about. And what I love is like seeing something that has the materials because nowadays we have PBR and we have like actual material measurements and we can layer things up and we have real time lighting based on high dynamic range photographs. And so we're getting closer to in real time creating something that looks natural. And yeah, that's the most satisfying thing right now. I told you that ZBrush was my favorite thing. Definitely my favorite way to model for like almost 10 years or something. But I still love digital sculpting, but Right now, I think the most enjoyable thing I do is texturing things in Substance Painter. Oh, uh, because, shit, man, yeah. Because of this, man. Oh, my gosh. It's oh, so amazing. Getting like Especially the- coming from years of Photoshop texturing. like, And I didn't uh, know that my life was bad, you know? Like, I was just like, <laughs> this is what it is. And then, oh, man, Substance Painter is, um, yeah, for people that don't know, I mean, it lets you texture on models in real time. So it's almost like you're... It's almost like you're looking at your model in a video game with ultra settings on, and then you're you're actually working on the model in the context. And this is like the first time that this has been commercially like easy to access. Yeah. Uh, I I have I've Substance Painter was the first time I actually textured directly onto my model. Wow. Uh, there there were other ways to kind of do it, but it's never been so good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like that that's definitely where I now feel this instant gratification because it's like if I want to put dirt on a character's cheek or like nick some paint, I, yeah. I literally reach out and I do it on my my Cintiq and boom, I just chip paint off. And man, it's so much fun. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's the same, like, um, you know, the, obviously because the, the sci-fi corridor I built was supposed to be infected. I mean, it was totally inspired by Dead Space and Doom. And um, 
I would add like small chunks of blood or like some alien like life form taking over the part of like a pipe and then wrapping that form around the pipe and the blood splatter like yeah and then putting it back into the scene and then lighting it and being oh yeah that looks really cool and um yeah like it's just a satisfaction of something I was kind of missing with 2D where I was like yeah this looks alive I've like I feel, like I said, I felt I could have walked through it in a game, you know, um, you know, and it's, yeah, it's hard to explain. I think unless you do the trade and you understand the tools, but yeah, there is, I, I, there is more an excitement for me than the two D stuff because I'm not the kind of guy who would, like, I don't sketch every day in my sketchbook, and you know, I, I wasn't as disciplined as you really need to be if you want to be a two D artist in this industry. Um, and I yeah. knew that that my three D process was just, you know, I enjoyed it, I had fun doing it, and. Um, for me, it was it was one of the things I could get good at, um, you know, in my own time. I could learn things I wanted to learn. So yeah, it, it's a whole process. Um, although I'm uh, super interested to to hear your thoughts on the latest ZBrush release because, uh, like, that just kind of flipped in the last couple of two weeks, three weeks, because they just had that announcement, right? For the, the they did 2018, uh, right? Yeah, the new tool sets they're putting in, and uh, yeah, I'm just interested to get in it. And and I'll be honest, you know, I've done Maya. Uh, and different renders for so long and I've just recently got into Redshift but um, yeah ZBrush has still been totally untouched and I'm um, super curious to how I'm going to handle that although people tell me the interface is super scary um, to get in it for beginners but um, I don't know how do you feel about mm -hmm. the program do you feel it's 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 a good stepping stone or can it take a bit of while to get used to or yes uh, it could take a while to get it to get used to um, I have complicated feelings now with ZBrush, you know, because we've had a long relationship, you know, where we, we've, we've had this intimate bond now. Um, yeah. I mean, I owe my whole career pretty much to ZBrush, but I've spent so much time in it. Um, I definitely probably have, you know, little things that um, other people don't. I also teach, you know, I just started teaching last year. And so mm. I'm very aware of uh, now hearing, you know, the perspective of people that are new. And 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 the thing that makes it scary, like to describe exactly what it is, I mean, I think it's great, and I still think it's probably best in class. I, I would say the only thing that maybe give it a run for its money right now is um, 3D coat. Right, uh, yeah. but, but but when it comes specifically to making the highest quality, hyper real, like detailed characters, right. I don't see that ever happening still. So mm. if it if someone does it in 3D coat, then I'd be like, oh, but. There's some things like layers, uh, morph targets, and things like that that in ZBrush give it, I think, that that little bit of an edge. So yeah. when you're doing when doing the top of the line stuff, you're probably gonna use it. And maybe even sculpting feels better, but it could be just that I'm I'm used to it. But still I think ZBrush is the best. Yeah. What what makes it difficult for new uh, beginners is the just the onboarding process, you know, like everything is tucked away in a shelf. So it's yeah. kinda like it's just like going into a workshop for the first time by yourself, and then uh, and then that's it. And then so then you have to just go around opening every drawer, you know. So it's not fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and they invent words a lot. So like yeah. all of the terminology that you need to know in ZBrush is not in anything else. So you can't uh, yeah. just like you can't just Google like, you know, what they put a Z in front of everything or oh, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or no, Dynamesh and uh, oh, Q yeah, yeah. Q Remesh and all that stuff. So, it, it's a that's that's what it makes it daunting. Is it's a new learning experience. So it's a it, you have to memorize a lot of things and you have to get a little bit comfortable with the fundamentals of making new meshes all the time. Yeah. But ah, uh, once it's worth it because once you're in there messing around, it's the thing that feels most like digital clay, and that's yeah. that's kind of their brand. 
and that's what the people that use it all the time feel. Yeah. But I agree. Uh, we could do a much better job of getting that in the hands of people that want to make stuff. And that's kind of part of my mission mm-hmm. on YouTube. And I want to start making more YouTube videos soon to get pre- people like you. I know a lot of people that are interested. I've tried to onboard like people that I know in my life, some concept artists that um, you know wanted to get into it. Because I think if you're doing concept art, you should at least be using 3D Coat or ZBrush. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. If you're, you not, if mean, you're not using 3D yeah. in your pipeline as a 2D artist these days, you're really, you're really going to struggle. You're super handicapping yourself. Yeah, you have to be extremely strong at something else to counterbalance. Like you have yeah. to have an, a, a, you know, you have to be one of the best in the world at something yeah. specific if you're not well-rounded, I think. Yeah. Oh, well, I know I plenty of 2D artists who are unbelievable painters, but, um, but yeah, even some guys I know that are doing some stuff for Magic are... are propping out base scenes in 3d and throwing a light in there yeah. and then you know that's half their stuff that's half their day done you know i mean like it's yeah that's what i mean why not i mean yeah you learn it once mm. and maybe it's a couple of weeks of being uncomfortable but then yeah then today you get accurate cameras accurate lighting perspective things yeah. that are very difficult to recreate and you know you get out of the box if you just do your due diligence up front and learn some programs that are pretty easy today to learn comparatively oh, totally i mean like and again going back to shady because you know the guy's he's run one pixel brush forever and he's done so many talks but he done a talk called uh, the law of increasing awesomeness where he talked about yeah you can walk up the mountain on the longest path but and be like, yeah, I'm going to be a purist. I'm not going to use photobashing or 3D or, or, or texturing or anything like that. Um, but then you're then hindering yourself and taking longer. Sure, you'll be a purist, but then your journey will be a lot longer. And, you know, you'll you'll hinder yourself once you get within a workload. Because the guys I know now, even within studios who do 2D stuff, you know, their, their ADs are expecting them to be, ex, you know, ex, at least experienced in either Maya, Modo or whatever. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, especially with photo textures as well, because... Well, a lot of these guys, you know, I was, again, when we did a talk with Raphael Lacoste about, um, you know, him working on Assassin's Creed, he was saying that, you know, you'd be expected to pump out a painting, you know, if not every day, maybe every two days. Um, and if you're not using photo textures, 3D or anything like that, yeah, you're not going to get a painting done that quickly by hand, tra- using traditional methods. Um, yeah. It's almost impossible. And, and I think that's what people don't understand is that you're using these techniques as part of a pipeline, right? As an industry, um, time is money and you need to get quick results quickly because you can't be waiting on an artist to spend a week on a painting, like one painting. Like it's just, yeah. it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be viable for the company at all. It's the same with 3D, right? Like you, you'll have only so many days to do a sculpt and have something up and running, you know, because you're obviously a link in the chain and if you take longer than the next link in the chain is waiting for you and there's nothing worse when another member of the team is waiting on you finishing work because yeah that is the worst feeling so um yeah if you're 2d now and you're not using 3d as even a base or some kind of method it is super hindering um like even guys yeah. guys i know who do 3d are like oh no i wouldn't want to learn how to texture or rig or like you know uh retop like i think especially within games and movies you kind of need to know the whole pipeline i think you'd agree with that right I, I I think of it like the more you know, uh, just the more desirable you are, yeah. you know. <laughs> and I, I think it's just adding um, adding more skills makes you a more well-rounded player in the game. Yeah. And I think, yeah, the more the merrier. Mm-hmm. And another thing, uh, you know, to piggyback on what you're saying, something I'm uh, – I have my eye on for a while and it's becoming increasingly aware is – especially now with the, with the push for AI and people – you know, now we have things like um, – uh, whatever that thing's called, like Deep Mimic or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's the AI. AI is going to play a bigger and bigger role in making things, like you say, fast. Like yeah. most, most of what the art is now is a business, right? The entertainment business is huge. Yeah. 
And yeah, they're trying to save time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of productions are trying to make things photorealistic. Yeah. So more more and more things are gonna get scanned and more and more things are gonna get automated, more and more things. It's gonna be about, you know, photo real quality and speed. Yeah. So I think what rounding yourself out makes you more adaptable. And also I would suggest everyone, especially younger people that are like students of the game and learning how to get in and wanna wanna do something in the entertainment industry, mm -hmm. focus on strengthening the areas that can't be uh, done with AI as easily or or reproduced from from photo scans. So yeah. that means like th things that aren't photo. So definitely your design skills, mm -hmm. uh, just design in general and like coming up with taste and style and tone and understanding like why we make things and storytelling and things like that. Like the reason behind everything and not just rely on a method. Mm -hmm. There, there has been a time and some people, you know, throughout history get really good at a style or really good at a method and they can ride that the whole way. But nowadays, um, it's all about being adapting. And, and I think as a 3D artist, I think this comes with the job, especially now that I've been doing it, you know, from a considerable amount of time yeah. when I speak to younger people, at least with my career, it might have just been my career, mm -hmm. but all of my characters are, are different, which I like, but... So what I've what I've realized is like over time what I'm getting good at or more comfortable with is starting a project that I don't know how to do and then I learn how to do it oh, like yeah, during yeah. that time you know like cuz I'm not just doing the same thing every time there's definitely like these pillars and I have a workflow and I have techniques that I'm practiced with that can do various things but there isn't a, a recipe uh, that fits everything. So, you know, everything, everything is a learning experience. And I think if, as long as you enjoy that kind of discovery and experimentation with like how to solve this problem, mm -hmm. it's a lot of little problems, then I think you're going to be all right. That, that works with 2d and 3d. I think it's like, it, sometimes it feels like you're biting off more than you can chew, but the thing you're really practicing and getting like that muscle you're exercising is figuring out how to make something that you like. And, uh, and that's kind of, turns into what your taste is i think yeah i mean like it, it speaks to even like um i mean you do you know ryan kingsling do you know the, the guy yeah. yeah so ryan like he talks about it like super often about how this industry is one of the few in the world professionally where you have to like prove so much of your talent before they even let you in for an interview like and then once mm -hmm. you're there you don't even stop you know you have to constantly be making yourself valuable to the company and yes yeah, it's it's, it's I've, I've definitely have I've changed my vision of this industry in the last five years, but um, it is. I mean, not that it's impossible, and not that it's not super rewarding, but yeah, it's a really hard job, and um, like that probably follows into sometimes what I talk to you about is like your first job in the industry. Like, I mean, how did that come about? And you know, was there a culture shock there where you found yourself like, oh my god, I really need to fucking work hard now? Like, <laughs> there was a, mm -hmm. like a shift of oh my god, what am I doing? So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I've got, yeah, I've got, I don't know how much more time we got, but I got two stories about oh, that. Talk, that talk, uh, talk forever. You talk as long as you want, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I'll tell you the first studio because it was actually pretty awesome. So I did do, I did have my kind of obligatory shitty experience when I was, I was a freelancer for a second or a contractor for a second after college. So it took a few months for me to even land a job after I graduated. And uh, after I did this little contracty work, I was back and then, you know, I just wanted a good job. I was kind of aiming for it the whole time probably and I didn't want to um, feel like I was making a sacrifice. Yeah. 
And, uh, and I don't know when you get out of college, you're not sure what to do. And you're kind of feel like if you don't get hired immediately, you're like, oh man, what's going on? You know? <laughs> so I would eventually just start applying to more and more places that I didn't know much about and, uh, like going to different boards. So my first studio job came from a job posting on polycount, which for all the game art people, they know about polycount.com. So yeah, on the, on the polycount boards, there was a job posting section back then. There might still be. And, uh, Someone posted a job looking for a character artist. I responded, and he called me that day. And uh, his name was Don, and uh, he he set up an interview for the following day. Mm-hmm. And I drove down there. That was in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. And so I just drove down there, and he was outside smoking a cigarette. And it was like in this old brick building that used to be like <laughs> – like it, they used to like use it to move engines or something. Like it was an old mechanic <laughs> place. It was just awesome. So it was just in Old Town Pasadena on some street. Uh, like a quiet street and inside was just concrete floors and old brick building like 100 years old uh it's pretty dope and uh and yeah just this group just ragtag bunch of eclectic uh geeky people there was like seven or eight of them um they we had an interview in their conference room and uh like i talked to all of them and they were just asking me questions like about what movies i liked and you know pop culture stuff just like what i later learned is you know they're just figuring out your personality figuring out if you're an asshole and if they want to work with you <laughs> so um and that was kind of my first experience with all that mm-hmm. and then we uh we went up and looked at my work on a com- on a computer my like website at the time so my portfolio yeah. and then they asked me they asked me questions about that we sat down and had lunch and uh and yeah, I, from what I remember, it was just really, they were really welcoming, warm and nice. And they were asking me questions. It was fun. And it was a really good experience for me. And I worked there, that was called White Moon Dreams. Mm-hmm. And I worked there for, I think probably like two years almost. Yeah. And uh, and that was just good for me, man. They were like an indie company. Um, they took me to China twice, which was an amazing experience. Like wow. they just so happened to get a job out there. Mm-hmm. And um, because they're an indie studio, they were trying to get work from wherever they could. Mm-hmm. They had a contact out there. And uh, so on two separate occasions, I went out there for like a week or two. And we were kind of like um, ambassadors or I don't know. We just went there. We went to the game studio and uh, we told them how how we do stuff. Mm-hmm. And we looked at their projects and we gave them feedback. And we just kind of worked alongside a Chinese game studio for a few weeks. And then at night we go out and have crazy adventures, you know, <laughs> and it was awesome, man. It was a cool experience. And it was just all from a forum post. And, and yeah, those people were, uh, were a cool group of people. And I think it gave me an, a positive look at what the game, what some parts of the game industry are. Cause yeah. as you get more into big, big studios, it's less, it's less of a warm, fun, funky family and more like, you know, harsh and toxic. It oh, can yeah. be toxic in certain things. I mean, a lot of money has come through the game industry. Mm-hmm. It make money makes people crazy, mm-hmm. and uh, and a lot of big group of people makes people. Cra- you know, managing a big group of people is fucking hard, no matter yeah, what. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so the more people, the more crazy. But yeah, that was a cool experience, man. They eventually they moved their building too to downtown LA, mm-hmm. but uh, they ran into some money problems, and uh, and I I had to keep my career going. So I said, you know, I'm gonna peace out. Uh, and they said, yeah, uh, totally get it. Um, and then I went to Turtle Rock and, uh, I got hired from Turtle Rock, uh, because I went to school with some people, uh, oh. at AI. Nice. Yeah. So that was one of the good, good things about AI. I got lucky again with like a class of people mm-hmm. where several, several of them, um, like one of them, the guy who, uh, the guy who got me the job at Turtle Rock, Steve, uh, Stephen Oakley, mm-hmm. he, uh, just fe- finished, uh, God of War just came out. That's awesome. Oh shit. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so we split up all over the industry and we like still keep in touch and stuff. Um, so yeah, so he got me the interview at Turtle Rock and, um, I went into Turtle Rock. I mean, I was at the time I was kind of interviewing them. You know, I was like, hey, Left 4 Dead is the shit. But, you know, what is this? Turtle Rock sounds weird. I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's been a while since Left 4 Dead. What's going on? But my my job at the time couldn't pay money. You know, I was on unemployment at that time. All right. Okay. So I went over there and uh, in the interview, when I went in, I was like, I'm going to interview these people just like they're interviewing me. You know, I don't know about these people, yeah. but the studio looked awesome. They seemed like pretty cool dudes. And, uh, and essentially at that time, the pitch was like, we're doing left for dead in space. And like, I love avatar, like avatar had come out like two years before that or three years before that. Yeah. And I was like, dude, fuck yes, let's do this. <laughs> and, uh, that was the beginning of evolve. Like I was there for five years actually. Wow. And that was, uh, that was a cool experience. So that was like, definitely a step up from white moon, mm -hmm. but that was the time after the interview and everything. And I sat down in the desk, mm -hmm. like they had the, you know, they had that, uh, chair from, whatever the $800 fancy ergonomic chair that all the major studios have. Oh yeah. And you know, it's my own desk and everything. That was the, Oh shit moment. Yeah. I was like, uh, this is like a real studio and it's a big triple a game. You know, it's like tens of millions of dollars yeah. and I'm the, I'm the guy making the characters. And so, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. Uh, but in retrospect, uh, it was awesome. Yeah. I mean, that would be a super interesting project to work on. And it's one of these things where, I mean, there's two sides to it where, uh, I mean, I'm not talk bad about the studio, but we need to address the fact that Evolve didn't do as well as I think the studio hoped it would have done. Um, yeah. And um, but then that's the thing where like I know people who because it's like two sides, right? So the one side is people who work for five years on the game and then it gets cancelled and then your your work never gets seen. Um, or there's one <laughs> side of it where people work on something for five years and it comes out and it's great, but you know it doesn't hit or sell as well as they were hoping money wise and. Um, and then it yeah. feels, feels like it's not getting appreciated in that sense. But Evolve, you know, when I first, you know, first saw the concept, um, I was super interested. Um, even the, mm -hmm. the stupidest thing, how the Evolve actual name managed. Oh, yeah, the 4v1? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. pretty dope. <laughs> yeah, man, it was fucking amazing. But, uh, yeah, but, like, yeah. I, I just, you know, I think as well because I was a fan of the team-based stuff and Left 4 Dead was such a huge thing at the time. Um, I was like, oh, yeah, this seems like a super awesome idea. But, yeah, yeah. it just never... It just never seemed to translate ah, to people. It didn't work. Yeah, yeah, but that happens, right? Um, but then again, yeah, yeah, that happens. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but then again, like I said, um, you know, like your time spent there would have been super awesome working on it. So, um, oh yeah, yeah, that is the experience that you you probably took away from that. Um, and then obviously, yeah. from uh, from Top Rock, you know, how did I mean? How did respawn? How did it happen? How did you make the move? Yeah, so it was after uh, Evolve shipped and uh, and all that happened happened. So not only did it not really find a big audience, it was also – I mean it had a lot of things that contributed to that, I would say, in yeah, hindsight. Yeah, yeah. But one of them was definitely the game itself. Yeah. Uh, definitely like the game the, – the, the design of certain elements, the way that people were onboarded, um, you know, the day-to-day -day experience, and then what happened in the final – configuration i would even say uh i think the whole industry learned a lot since then uh -huh. i don't know how much of it directly from evolve but you would never put a game out like evolve anymore like at the time we were in the middle of trying to figure this shit out yeah but like yeah the fact that characters were you know behind you had to you had to work really hard to unlock a character yeah. um, monsters were behind pay gates yeah um 
and uh, it was difficult to learn. There was no easy way to practice and onboard and blah, blah, blah. So the list goes on and on. Yeah. But working on it um, was really awesome because of the experience. There was a huge learning experience through the whole time, yeah. including including a lot of things of what not to do, like the things we're just talking about. Like we would never use the word DLC and sell characters. I mean, I would never do that anymore. And I think a lot of people uh, wouldn't do that anymore. You know, yeah. the fact that Overwatch uh, gives you characters for free, yeah. that's that's just by design. You know, that's yeah. a more that's a, that's a more gratifying and ethical feeling for players yeah. and people. Yeah. It's the same with, but, uh, yeah. I was going to say, it's just it's the same with Dota 2, right? Like a lot of people prefer that over League because every hero is instantly accessible, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. and then the flip side of that is like, you look at Battlefront 2 as well, that just came out where, like, EA is oh yeah, the whole controversy with the unlocking characters and the pay to win system, so, um, yeah, I was going to say you think people would learn, but yeah, it seems EA has had a trouble, yeah, sorting that kind of out, which is, which sucks again, because yeah. I know people down even south that have worked uh, Criterion Games that have worked in the, the space battle part of Battlefront 2, and they were super psyched about the game, and, yeah, the whole controversy thing just totally took away from the overall experience, and it, it really sucked because I'm such a Star Wars nerd, and yeah. you want yeah. those games to do well because if they do well, then they make more, and yeah, that was a whole thing as well. But anyway, so yeah, back to your point. Yeah, yeah. So that that similar thing happened uh, with Evolve, and yeah, I can't believe people haven't learned. Maybe this will be the last big time. We were surprised. Yeah. Um, and yeah, being Star Wars, I think maybe they even thought they could get away with it more because of that. They're like, yeah. oh, we don't have to be as, you know, uh, as tight about it. And yeah, you do. You, yeah, players yeah. don't like this <laughs> feeling. Because, yeah, because um, people got a bad egg and they get online and it can spread like absolute wildfire. So, yeah. 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 But uh, but the greatest thing looking back on Evolve was that definitely there was some lunches where, you know, I'd go out with uh, friends and colleagues and I'd be like, dude, I don't I don't know if this is going to work or like this is crazy. You know, you'd have some weeks like that and you'd have some weeks like, oh, this might work out. But that that was the that was the dream. That's what felt so good is like we were a bunch of people and a lot of people because of Turtle Rock's situation. They had they had this history of making some games that were like last gen, but they were great. And now those people are like the seniors of this studio, right? Like I think like twelve people made Left 4 Dead, wow. and at full at full capacity, Evolve was like almost a hundred people. Wow. So by the by the time like they were hiring people on, and maybe I was like number twenty, number thirty, or something. But they hired a, a, like a new generation of people. Yeah. So for a lot of us, it was the biggest game we'd ever worked on, and the first big game we'd ever worked on. Yeah. And uh, and we were independent. And we were getting funded, and it was an original idea, uh, and we didn't know what to expect. So, like, every day you're coming to work, you play test every day. They have a great, like, dev mentality that way. Uh, Respawn does also. Like, they're the build, they're always trying to keep the build healthy. Uh, they're always trying to push through what people are working on so that during the daily play tests, you can see the game come into life and give feedback and stick around after work and have conversations. Cool. So it really felt like we were all trying to make a game and we were excited for, to release it onto the world. So even though the outcome wasn't like what we um, would want, it wasn't ideal. Yeah. The experience was exactly why I got into games. Um, yeah. So from that, from that reason, I'm, I feel super lucky to have been a part of that because you know, going into it, that it's a gamble. I mean, that's a big part of the game industry. Yeah. It's kind of like the gold rush. Like it's a risk. Everyone knows it's a risk. Uh, and the, like what you were saying about games, um, you know, coming out, and then going away or, or having bad press or not making money like that's yeah. I think that's most games I think uh, most games don't make money uh, at least not a lot of money and 
yeah, so uh, it's a crazy business that we're in, but yeah. it feels good while you're making it because you know you never know. It's probably I I think I can only imagine, but I assume it's a lot like what it's like to work on a movie. You know, if you're any of the jobs that aren't the major players you know like yeah. if you're making ar armor or visual effects for some movie you're hoping yeah. the movie comes out great you know that'd be awesome right that's why you're doing it but all you're doing is the best job you can do yeah. and you're hoping that uh, everyone else does it and you're just kind of like a part of the team you know yeah i mean and that's the the, the feeling i have just now it's almost a feeling of dread where you know i was lucky enough uh, for nick and armin to the guys i know uh, who run red essence games to to give me the opportunity to work on the on mask assemblance and um yeah, like because that is an indie studio project, and you know we're working with publishers, um, you know things like you know asking for money, and then obviously hoping that 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 does well. It's it's a risk you feel when you're part of the team, right? You you want it to be good so that you know. I mean, our dream obviously is that this game does really well, and then obviously off the back of that, we get a chance to make a sequel because um, a lot yeah. of people, a lot of people compare the game we're working on just now to Bastion when it came out years ago that Supergiant made. Um, and then obviously they had a huge success with that and now they've made other games like um, Transistor and Pyre, I think recently was their most recent release. Um, but yeah, like that's the hope for us that, you know, the game does so well that, um, that there is an opportunity to make a sequel or something else, another IP. And yeah, it's a big fear. Yeah, you've got this, you know, this constant, um, you know, fear in the back of your head. I mean, I watched a, a talk the other day on a GDC channel about a guy who used to work for, I think, Kotaku and a couple of other British uh, games journalism websites. And then he made his own publishing uh, house, and they published a game recently. I forget the name of it, but it's basically a downhill racing bike kind of game. But the whole talk was on how he marketed that game for like zero money, um, just by basically asking for favors constantly. Um, but he put out a statistic that most games in Steam, um, most average indie games in Steam, earn um, only twelve and a half thousand dollars in the first week, and then or week to month and then I think within a year it's an average of $30,000 and you think of that return on the money you probably get to invest in the game it's like a super small return like for a lot of people it's not even 5% yeah. of their budget so yeah like yeah. when people are putting millions in and then you're expecting obviously something to come back that is going to pay the bills it's really scary man it really can be hard because you're sitting there oh, yeah. Yeah, worrying about it so yeah I can imagine what Total yeah. Rock was the same yeah, and, and you know what? I think it wasn't as clear then, too. I, I think we're going to see the industry is going to change. I mean, the industry keeps changing, and I think the landscape is going to look totally different in five years. Uh, and I think a lot of it is kind of what you're noticing now with this risk. Um, yeah. There, I think the, the big difference is the amount of competition today, and it has to do with uh, Steam also. Uh, but when you look at what the models – like the, the model of spending 70 to $100 million – on your game and then you know putting it in every store on earth in a yeah, box yeah and then making that money back that model seems old now you know yeah. and uh and i think the big players are trying to figure out what to do next uh definitely streaming seems like it's going to be on the horizon right like yeah. it seems like eventually there'll just be a netflix for games and there won't be boxes anymore yeah. uh but when you look at when you look at what uh, the big studios are doing spending all that money even like in the example that you cited of someone marketing their game for very little yeah look at these big look at these big games that are are at the top of popularity that at the top of streaming and stuff you know a game yeah. like uh, a game like PUBG is made by some indies uh, you know like a, a small amount of people um, League of Legends and Dota are, are based on Dota which was a mod in, in Warcraft 3 Counter-Strike was a mod yeah 
uh, Left for Dead was by a small amount of people. Mm-hmm. Portal was like a college project. Yeah. Uh, TF2 was a mod. Yeah. So it seems like um, it seems like you definitely cannot say that the huge game studios know how to make a hit game. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and and it's really hard to say anybody knows how to make a hit game. But definitely, it seems like a lot of the ones that really strike true and and become what you might call classics, one that say like they they hold the test of time. It seems like they comes from a relatively small amount of people that agree on something, you know, that they feel strongly enough like there's some kind of mission for making the game, an idea that's, you know, compels them all the way through. At least that's what it seems like to me, like some kind of true inspiration, you might call it, you know, in an artsy, farty term. And uh, and then and then we kind of glong onto it and try to with money. What they can do is bring that budget, bring that polish. Yeah. Um. But still, in today's climate, it feels like de- definitely people. I'm I'm personally not as excited about Call of Duty games, right? Like that I used to. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, there's only like so many times, and we kind of even feel it with movies. I mean, even now, uh, I'm I'm gonna go see the new uh, Avengers movie, you know. But I yeah. don't know. Am I excited about it? I don't know. I think I am. I don't know. Yeah. You know. So. No. I mean, it's, it's, a- as as much as it can be good, we all like new things too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's it's. Like you, all the games you listed, I think, are are experiments of an original idea. Like PUBG, the the one versus a hundred, it's it was, mm-hmm. you know, a tried and tested thing people tried to do, but for some reason that formula just stuck with them and they got super popular. Um, like I even think back to indie devs where the guys that made Cuphead recently. Yeah, um, Cuphead's great looking. Yeah, like a, that idea. I mean, they I think they passed one hundred and fifty million dollars in sales, but like, yeah, they That's made. Awesome. A, yeah, for the budget they think they, they threw at it, but it was that original idea, right? The hand-drawn 1930s element. Like, yeah. That was the big thing that hooked people, and I think the hook is that that's the hard part, right? You can have you can have a game that you spend, next, like Angry Birds is the perfect example. Of yeah, exactly. People who spent next to no money making a game, and look how many billions that has shipped yeah. in, in sales. Yeah. Now here, now here's this exact. Uh, we can use this as the as the total like little metaphor for what we're talking about here. Yeah. So in a little a little studio makes a game like Angry Birds and like that exact story was. I mean, I'm not gonna know the numbers, but it was something like they made that was like their twentieth game, uh-huh. and uh, and they that was their strategy was we're gonna make a bunch of little fun games until one becomes popular and then we're going to you know pour all of our eggs into that basket and that was their last real shot and the, and it was their last chance that ended up being a hit so it makes a cool story for them mm-hmm. but it also it also points to the to what's going on here like it is hard to know what will be popular and it's yeah. similar to what it's similar to what musicians do with music right they'll put out a single mm-hmm. and then a couple of weeks later they'll put out another single and those are those are specifically chosen to be different flavors yeah. to see which 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 one is more popular yeah. so that they can lean that way, right? They're like little samples. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're a big studio and you're doing what you've been doing, which is you're going to spend $100 million and two to three years to make a game and then yeah. just launch it, that's what that's so much more risky, it seems like. Yeah. So it seems like in today's climate, what people are going to try to learn to do is to be more transparent, like more fluid. I think so in the example of mobile games and some other bigger studios than just mobile, I've been doing this, but yeah. they'll make a they'd rather make several small games than one yeah. huge game. And I think, you know, in the when you're talking about risk, that's a way to minimize a little bit of risk or at least improve your chances of making a game that is profitable because you know we do need to to make some money to keep making games yeah 
Yeah, definitely. And I mean, um, trying to get back on track what we were talking about, but um, <laughs> hey, yeah, like I was just wondering um, because you talk about sleeper hits, but what an interesting thing was, and you know, I knew you before you posted this, but this was obviously a, a blot for you. But when did the Hansa project start, and was that in between Top oh, yeah. and, and Respawn? Was that a kind of go between when you were between studios? Or? Yeah, yeah. And so that 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 makes sense in the timeline that you talked about too. Yeah. So uh, I was working on that. Um, so that was at the end of Evolve, um, and I was doing that in my free time just to, you know, um, for be working on something. Yeah, for people who don't know before Jason gets into it, Jason made a, a fan art of Hanzo from Overwatch, but also it isn't Hanzo, it's Hanza. So it's the female version of Hanzo, um, as, he would be, as she would be realized, sorry, in the game. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I did it. I mean, it was a moment of inspiration because of Overwatch. And also at the time, like I felt like making a character, you know, I had just come off Evolve and uh, there wasn't a need to make characters at that time. And uh, so I was doing it uh, for my own sake at home. And then I was looking around for jobs, which would eventually became the respawn job. And uh, there was a couple weeks in between the jobs. And uh, I Turtle Rock was a 3D studio, Max studio, and uh, Respawn is a Maya studio. And I used to use Maya. I never used Max until uh, Turtle Rock. Right. So I thought, uh, hey, good enough excuse to try to like warm up. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to show up to Respawn and and look like I didn't know what I was doing. So yeah. I thought I'll take this two weeks to finish Hansa and I'll make her bow and all the I'll make all the things in Maya and learn learn Maya 2017. Yeah, and uh, and that so that's what I did, and I also testing like a pipeline, a workflow that I wanted to try, mm -hmm. that is going straight from ZBrush to uh, Keyshot and just using like automatic mapping, essentially cutting out all the very tedious shit you'd have to do for production, right. and just make a character to make uh, cool images. Cool, yeah, uh, and that's yeah. interesting as well because Keyshot is something I have seen people, even the concept guys, use to texture and render really super quickly um and get kind of like a quick result kind of turnover like you say without having to do the tedious stuff which is you know unwrap and uv and then fire it into you know um your pbr which is substance or whatever else you're using but um yeah how long how long did the project take you in total to do oh man that one's probably a couple months because it was just a couple hours here and there and then i finished it um you know sometime within that two weeks Right. Uh, it would definitely be faster now. I didn't use substance. Yeah. Um, and for the hair, I used um, ZBrush's hair. That was another thing I wanted to try was uh, fiber mesh. And uh, nowadays, I think I might use Arnold, although maybe not because of the key shot bridge. So it yeah. kind of all depends on the workflow you're doing. Uh, it definitely worked out for key shot going for, straight from ZBrush. But the hair... The hair tools in ZBrush are pretty like rudimentary, so they're pretty harsh. Like if you make a mistake, you have to start over, that kind of thing. Oh shit, yeah. So it takes time. Yeah, and then again, was that a thing where, because um, it, it did kind of blow up? I think I think even Kotaku uh, featured it at one point. Because I'm actually yeah. sure I shared it on your page. I was like, oh shit, dude, Kotaku's featuring your your sculpt. Um, yeah, was that like was your like Twitter blown up? Was like people like. <laughs> messaging in our station like holy shit dude this is amazing or what was what was the journey for yeah. that once you posted it yeah definitely uh that was my most like well-received piece and i think that's that might be my last or my second last kind of personal piece but that definitely goes to show that you know doing personal work is hugely important like for oh, a yeah. number of reasons number of reasons yeah um yeah and, and i think it's safe to say like other than going from turtle rock to respawn 
because having shipped AAA game characters definitely like brings validity to you. Yeah. But it's the personal pieces I think that get people's attention. You oh, know yeah. that that might make your work or your portfolio more shareable, 100%. and that's what you want. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I mean, it even goes back to um, I don't know if you, you probably all know Jamaro Kindred from Blizzard. Um, like he he made the the website famously years ago called I Want to Work for Blizzard dot com, um, <laughs> and just filled it with uh, art that he thought belonged in the Blizzard universe. Sent it to I think one of the radies at the time, and they were literally like, "Yeah, cool." when can you start so but that was for him a personal project right he wasn't um like i, I remember we were just at imag again in paris and there was a, a person this is going to sound horrible but he was from pixar and i cannot remember his name but he was doing a talk on character creation and, and angles and cinematic views but he said a quote during the talk which 100 percent sat with me still and i think i would tell to every single person that's listening he said number one tip work like you already have the job and I was like, yeah, sold. Right, exactly. A hundred percent on the nose. Yeah. He's like, if you can't be doing eight hours a day of your job at home, like how are you expected to do that in a studio environment? Like, you know, if you're not already working Monday to Friday, nine to five, doing your craft, then you're really going to struggle once you work in a professional work environment. Um, so yeah, like work like you already have the job. I think it is one of the best uh, pieces of advice anybody could ever give an aspiring student. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I like it. It's a simple way to put it. I like yeah. it. Yeah, definitely. So I mean, so you're walking into respawn. You've got the job, um, and then again, again, I, I think you posted it on Facebook, and we were all congratulating you. But um, what were those first few weeks like? Was that a was that a bigger step from Total Rock? Because respawn, I think at the time, because they'd shipped the first Titanfall, they were probably off the back of that, so they were quite a big studio at the time. Or uh, pretty similar. They were a little bit bigger. Yeah, they're a little bit bigger. Um, and they've also had that history. The, uh, Evolve was Turtle Rock's first AAA game. And uh, most of the people at Respawn had uh, had been working together since Call of Duty 4, which to me was cool. I was like geeking out, you know, because that's one of my favorite games. So uh, the interview was like fun because of that. So I was like, yo, I love COD 4 and Modern Warfare 2. <laughs> and, uh, and then when they ask like what my favorite game is and I say Counter-Strike, they're like, oh, yeah, this is perfect. You know, so it, uh, that, that's what was cool is uh, Respawn was a good culture fit. I love first person shooters yeah. uh, and I love making characters. Um, Titanfall, I really love the Titanfall universe. I love the sci-fi stuff, you know, so I yeah. thought it's like uh, a lot of things for me to sink my teeth in. Yeah. And were you, I mean, because you talked about coming in the tail end of, of uh, TF2, like, mm -hmm. um, what what kind of were you doing day to day? Were you were you working on some of the Titans? Were you doing more pilots? Um, what was your kind of like main day to day stuff you were doing at the time before you started shifting projects? Mm -hmm. um, I just did people. That's kind of like, I usually get pigeonholed there, which is cool. That's kind of like what I... Uh, put on my portfolio you know i assume yeah. that i'm getting hired to do people yeah. and uh, at the end of tf2 though it was a little bit different because you know they wanted someone to hit the ground running and and finish up some stuff like yeah. check off some things from the long list of things that needed to finish before shipping yeah. so um i did do a couple scientists uh that were just in the background of the of the time mission oh. and uh actually one of the bodies turned into uh like one of the heads just turned my body asset just like recolored it and used it as a costume for one of the other characters, which I thought was cool. cool. And uh, I did some body bags. I did a couple different variations. That was for a level. Um, and they're just like sci-fi vacuum sealed bodies in bags. Cool. And uh, and then like one that's ripped up and burned for 
single player mission. And then I did some hanging hanging hazmat suits. Um, and yeah, so each of these are like several day turnarounds. Uh, the scientists are probably a couple weeks. And yeah, so it's just stuff like that. Like they would just feed me work that they'd like to have in. Yeah. Uh, they're probably kind of onboarding me. Uh, but at the same time, it was a hectic time. Like it was some late nights. Um, you know, people were some other people. Shit was on fire. I, I was just trying to, <laughs> you know, I, w- I was. It was pretty cool for me because I was new. They probably didn't want to like kill me, so they were giving me jobs that they would like finished. But you know, if we didn't, if we didn't do them, the game would still ship and be fine. But they were like extra, like wish list stuff. Yeah. So that's that's the stuff I was doing. Other than I guess the scientists, which you know they wanted to sprinkle them all around the level so that it looked like you know scientists worked there. So that was probably the biggest priority task. Yeah. Uh, and the other ones were yeah like kind of uh, wish list improvements. So yeah, but still uh, even though it was a few things, I was proud to be a part of it even in a small way. I think that the game came out really great. Uh, I think the single player is great. A lot of people that love single players um, really like playing that that oh, game. Yeah. And I, I love played, the game. Yeah. Yeah, I played hundreds of hours online. Yeah, so. so good, so good. Um, so yeah. Yeah, just, a, just a quick question before we get into the kind of final subject. Because um, mm-hmm. I've not really asked many people this, but you may actually be interested in kind of relaying this to people who, you know, because we've talked about, like, you know, the day-to-day stuff. But what do your days kind of look like at Respawn Studios these days? Like, what's your kind of 95? I mean, I don't know the hours you would work, but what's, what is your typical day? How do you kind of, what's the pipeline for you getting in and the studio in the morning? Do you guys like get in and then you have a stand up or a meeting and then, you know, mm-hmm. you work on stuff day to day. What's, what's your kind of day to day tasks? All right. I'll let you know. Uh, yeah. Response. Um, and uh, being a character artist is a bit different. This would yeah. be different depending on who you're asking, but yeah. so for me, uh, I get into work at 10 Total Rock started at 11, which is like the most chill schedule you'll ever, ever have. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I get into ten, which is early for game devs. No, but some people, some people get in earlier too. By the way, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very fluid, which I like a lot about the game industry. is very casual, like maybe too casual. You know, you got to <laughs> yeah. be able to like it's like a locker room. Yeah. Uh, so you got to be able to uh, as long as you finish your work, you're good. Yeah, yeah. So I I come in around ten, um, and then yeah, I just check emails and stuff. Um, I usually I'll either go to lunch or no, I'll either order lunch in or go to the gym. They have a gym on campus, which is cool. fantastic. Um, and yeah, so I'll go to the gym at lunch and then get some food and come back. And if, if, if it's a normal day, like I guess maybe the majority of what my life is, is in the middle of a character project. So there's usually some stuff that happens at the beginning of a character uh, project or task that's assigned to me. Yeah. And then stuff, stuff happens at the end. Sometimes stuff happens in the middle of things come up, but generally, um, you know, you're just left alone. So like I manage my own, uh, time. And then if something comes up, I go talk to people, mm-hmm. but you know, there's these major phases of like the high poly. I want to get a sanity check. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm starting to texture, it, get a sanity check, that stuff. But I pretty much just am off doing my own thing, which I, which fits me really well. Uh, we have a meeting every Friday where all the art team, the, like there's a pit of artists and we'll get into a meeting room and then we'll just show on a projector the stuff that we're working on right now mm-hmm. and then provide feedback on each other and just it's kind of like a state of a state of what's going on every week. We'll have a kickoff of a character at the beginning of a character with everyone involved from the departments so that we're all on the same page because yeah. we want to like 
keep the vision throughout the whole place. But yeah, um, it's pretty chill. If you if you were to just come in on me on a random day, I probably just would have headphones on and I would be in ZBrush probably yeah. uh, on a Cintiq. And then, uh, and then, yeah, if I'm not drinking coffee, then it's probably not four. And then there you go. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Um, so yeah, so that's cool. So I mean, uh, definitely the kind of last thing I want to touch on before we kind of break off, and I let you enjoy the rest of your day. Is um, you were talking about, you know, before we kind of got into the interview, that you're about to launch uh, an online course, a class. Um, so yeah, just I mean, because I, I don't know much about it, so just kind of dive in, like uh, if you want to kind of sh- share with us what that's going to involve and when that's coming out and and what is you know what's the kind of in and outs of it. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So. Yeah, so I last year I just started teaching, um, like any kind of like real capacity. It's something that I've been thinking about for a while. Like I said before, both my parents were teachers, and they um, they made it sound good. You know, they uh, they were good teachers, and uh, I always like looked up to them, and I thought it might be something I could do, especially uh, this specific thing, like just things that I know about. So, because I had this YouTube channel. Um, kind of the mission of the YouTube channel was just as a way to do work and share it and just, I always kind of hope to demystify some of the stuff in, in CG. It's similar to, you know, what we were talking about with ZBrush. It, it hurts me that people don't want to jump in there, you know, and I understand why, but there's some fun things and some satisfying things that I think everybody would enjoy. Yeah. So uh, my mission was just to get more people to take the plunge and get a little bit comfortable you know, with making things on computers and just try to have fun. Yeah. And so while doing that, I got into the video game character thing because that's what I do professionally. And then it became like, it became immediately clear that YouTube wasn't going to be the best platform because a lot of these people uh, are very new to these topics. And and also there's a huge range. Some people know more than others, right? So some people are casually coming. Some people have some experience. And I would get messages from people that genuinely wanted to know more stuff. And, uh, and I thought, all right, well, if I'm going to do it and I got contacted, I was actually working on my own course. And then I got contacted, um, by Edward from mold 3d and he was looking for someone and it was like the right time for me. Uh, and he proposed a partnership to teach a course for the whole character, like the whole character process. And, uh, and I thought it's going to be, that's going to be a huge, uh, uh, topic and a big course. Uh, but he was like, you know, hey, not a lot of classes out there. And, and like I say, it was similar to the kinds of topics I was talking about on YouTube. Mm. And I thought this could really give me like the chance to to really teach people that want to know. So I assume it's a, a small amount of people. Uh, but the people that were really serious, we've been launching it since last year where you subscribe or when you sign up to the course, then you not only get it's like 10 hours of video. So I made all these different lessons. I broke up the whole uh, workflow and I do a demonstration, but also we meet uh, every week in like a Q and A with my with my webcam, and I can like work on their machine, and I can just give them any kind of one on one feedback that way. And yeah. then once a week, also uh, they would submit work, and I would give them a five to ten minute like personal video where I like paint over their work and like just give them uh, tips and insights and feedback to drive them and to hopefully grow as much as they can during the time of the course. Nice. And that's been working out really well. But we've also been thinking, you know, it'd be great to to have the course there for the people that maybe aren't as serious or don't have that kind of money or that kind of time because, hey, making a character in eight weeks is like a big commitment. Um, and I think if you're the most serious kind of person, like if you want to do it professionally, yeah. you know, or you want to level up really quick, then yeah, by all means, do the full course. But yeah. we, we're working on being able to have the course just accessible 
Uh, so someone can just get the course and then stream the videos uh, whenever and wherever they are. And, uh, and that's it. So it'll be a cheaper course, uh, but it'll be like, you know, just for more people. Uh, yeah. So we're going to launch that in a few months probably. Uh, and yeah, I can give you the link. Maybe we can just link it down below. Uh, right now, the best thing to do would be to go to the Mold3D Academy website. Um, the long, the link's a little long, but I can give it to you. And then you can sign up. There's a little video there. But then you can sign up to the email list too. So as soon as we have like a real date, we'll let you know. So this is just really for people that are interested in making game character models, you know, right. 3D models uh, for going right into games and like the Unreal Engine and stuff. Yeah, totally. And I, I mean, it's actually funny enough, it's one of the things I've seen not fully, like the full process. I think the last one I saw was... Mark Burnett on Cubebrush, he done the PBR character tutorial. Oh yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, and that was one of the few I think I've seen that takes the whole start to finish aspect of it. Um, so yeah, I think it is good because pipeline is important, right? I think people don't incorporate pipeline as much and you know, how you take something from initial concept to final ready, like game ready asset. Um, yeah, that's it. It's the whole thing. And, and that's why this is kind of a trippy, uh, tricky topic. And uh, I chose to try to do the fewest amount of programs while keeping the programs relevant. Uh, and the fewest amount, I think, is just ZBrush, Maya, and Substance Painter. Yeah. Uh, Maya is pretty much interchangeable, you know, I'd have to say. But Maya is definitely still an industry standard. And I, I chose it, too, because if you're a student, you can download it and use it for free for three years uh, if you get the educational version. Yeah, yeah. So it makes it accessible, hopefully, to people that are serious. Like people like me, essentially, or the, like the hardcore uh, nerds out there that want to make game characters, you know, yeah, yeah. and yeah, so I think three uh, three programs is as as few as you're gonna get, and then you can kind of choose whatever engine you want. I mean, Unreal's free, so it's hard to beat that. But I did demonstrate uh, Marmoset Viewer because it's so user friendly. Um, oh, Marmoset yeah, yeah. Is fantastic. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Okay, well that, that sounds awesome, um, uh, Jay, And you know, obviously um, the guys who are on here, I want to make sure all the links and all the relevant information's below, so you can check out not only Jason's work but the also the upcoming course. And like I said, you can sign up for the course that's coming. And uh, yeah, if you haven't seen Jay's work, go check it out. It's uh, spectacular. Um, and definitely the Hansa project in particular, because obviously, um, yeah, that got a lot of a kind of press and media, and it is such a well put together project. Um, and yeah, just probably just to round out, just to say thank you very much for coming on Jason and giving up your time I know you're super busy so um, it's an of course man absolute honor to speak to you um, finally um, I know we've been back and forward a couple of times trying to get this organized but <laughs> yeah um, but yeah but yeah that's, that's life right you know you, when you're super busy especially with respawn you know I'm imagining kind of ramping up you you'll be your days will be quite um, hectic at the moment so um so yeah it's, it's good to get a chance to sit down and uh and talk and obviously I think it's always great when artists give back uh, with teaching because um yeah, it, it does, it is the way I think, somebody always said that the quote that, you know, when you take the elevator up, your job is to send it back down. Um, and it makes Oh, sure wow, that... I haven't heard that, but that sounds great. Yeah, I yeah, believe in that. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I definitely feel it even, um, sometimes when I speak to younger students as well, and again, I don't have a ton of experience, but the five years I've been in and out to events, and, and you know, you pick up these certain stuff that you can pass on, and it's great just to... To give somebody a couple of, you know, even just telling people what ArtStation is, because it's actually, it's almost sterile. There are many people I see that want to get in this industry that don't even know what ArtStation is, and I'm like, as soon as they, they open it for the first time, they're like, wow, you know, like their, their eyes light up with all the, the work that's on it. But, um, 
but yeah, it's, it's always good to give back. So um, definitely, 100%. I'll be looking forward to that course. I'll probably, hopefully, one of your first, uh, one of your first signups. Um, so yeah, definitely. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you, uh, thank you too, man, for for having me, and thank you for all the kind words. And uh, I had fun, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, totally awesome. It's, it's it's actually probably one of the longer interviews I've had, but yeah, I think it's it's fun when you get to just discuss um, game industry stuff and, and see somebody who's on the inside talk about the, the way the industry is working. So, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's, it's a rare thing. You want to try and keep it 100%, um, like you said, the art stuff, but um, getting it to talk about the Turtle Rock stuff. Because yeah, it's always interesting to see because I, I know I had my opinions about the, the way Evolve turned out, but speaking to somebody who was on the inside of it, seeing how it turned out, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see your perspective as well because yeah you can't always um it's the kind of thing i hate now because i've, I've worked with within the industry and i have wanted to work in the industry so when people automatically dismiss the game straight away and talk about how shit it is and you know people have spent four years of life making it yeah it, it can be totally disheartening because uh yeah you, you know how hard people work in these things and, and for people just to turn around and and uh yeah but then it's the opposite effect right god of wars just came out and you know like uh, there was a whole uh, Corey Barlog there. The game director done a, a reaction video of him reading review scores, and as soon as he saw it, it had a 94 Metacritic. You know, he was in tears. He was like so happy, but you know, that's a lot of sacrifice yeah, that's, for people. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm really happy for them. Yeah. Um, that seemed like, and I, I think, uh, I don't think that they knew that it was going to be good. You know, that it's, it's hard making games, man. You really don't know. Uh, what's going to happen until it happens? So it's yeah. great to see uh, people's dreams coming true, and uh, the world can always use more great games. Yeah, definitely. Okay, dude. Right. Well, uh, thanks again, um, guys who are listening. Yeah, check out the rest of the podcast we do on the channel. Um, remember how to subscribe and uh, check out Jason's work. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys later. Bye. Peace.